This is an ABC podcast. Hey ladies, a little warning. This episode contains swear words and some sexual references. Hey, it's time to settle in with your favourite podcast and I want you to do me a favour. Picture a movie, okay? It's a rom-com and the plot goes like this. Girl meets boy. They like each other enough to want to fondle each other's naughty bits, but something gets in the way, not of their naughty bits, but of their love, and it's high drama. But they overcome it, fall back in love, and spend the rest of eternity making out under flattering lighting and looking 25 years old. I bet you've seen that exact movie with that exact script 14,000 times at least. And it does influence what we want in our romantic lives. No matter what your sexual orientation is, the model is clear. One partner, one bed, one stupid face to look at every morning. But what if you choose to throw away that script? I remember I was talking to my mum. I just kind of exhaled and I was like, my partner and I, we're open. I slept with someone else and it's something that we're doing. According to a study published in the Journal of Sex Research, more and more people are actively looking for alternatives to monogamy. Women have historically and are currently leading this charge. It's women, by and large, who are the relationship revolutionaries. The more empowered women become, the more you will see women saying, I'm done with monogamy. But when monogamy is so ingrained in how we see ourselves, who really ever talks about or even considers that there's an alternative? I could be walking down the street and I would have no idea who out there is polyamorous. Absolutely no idea. We all look just like regular people and we are normal people. Ladies, we need to talk about escaping monogamy. Plenty of women are stepping outside their marriages for sexual satisfaction, for the novelty and variety in sexual adventure. Women, and there's a wealth of data to this point, need variety and novelty and adventure. Otherwise, they get bored more quickly. Women are more sexually liberated than we've ever been. But in spite of all our wokeness, the majority of us still believe in monogamy. Monogamy means the search is over. You're here now, arrived, where it's safe, secure and familiar. But if we admit it, it can also get kind of, well, I'm being polite here, but kind of repetitive. After you find someone you think is cute to settle down with, it's completely assumed that you're in a monogamous relationship. And that presumption isn't just coming from society, it's coming from you. According to the Australian Study of Health and Relationships, 96% of Australians expect monogamy from themselves and their partner. But what if instead of one partner, one bed and one stupid face to look at every morning, it's two, three, four, I don't know, maybe five stupid faces? We're not exclusive to each other. People might say, like, why did you bother getting married? (laughs) And sometimes I do think that myself. This is Chloe. She's in her 30s, been married for three years and with the same partner for 10. They're still working out the rules of the poly game. 
we talked about threesomes, but it never happened because like, how do you engineer that? Like neither of us wanted to go on the apps because it was, it would just be embarrassing. Like, oh, what if someone that we know sees us and knows that we have sex? (laughs) (laughs) And then earlier this year, basically it all started. I developed this huge crush on a friend and it was actually really stressful because I was terrified that it kind of meant that I didn't love my husband anymore and maybe I wasn't supposed to be with my husband and maybe I was supposed to be with this guy. And my partner knew about all of this. I told him from the very beginning, like, oh, I'm having all these squishy feelings for this guy. And I was very honest about all of it. But then the more intense the feelings got, the more stressful it became because, like I said, I was worried that it meant that I needed to get a divorce. I've been in and out of therapy for a long time and I remember me telling the therapist all of this And her just being like, I'm just going to tell you something. All of these feelings you're feeling have got nothing to do with your relationship with your husband. It's all on you. And I was like, say it again. (laughs) (laughs) I just needed to hear her say that because I was so scared. And I think talking about that with other women, like we all get crushes and it doesn't mean that you've made the wrong decision. So yeah, that didn't go anywhere. But then An old friend of mine called me around my birthday to be like, happy birthday. Then a couple of days later, he texted me and invited me over to his place. And I showed my husband this text and I was like, isn't it a bit weird that like we don't see each other often and and I've I've never been to his house before yet. He's inviting me over. Do you think he's like trying to sleep with me? And my partner was like, nah, sounds like he just like wants to hang out and have a few drinks. And I was like, okay. (laughs) Yeah. Should I continue with this story? This is where it gets interesting. What do you mean? Don't let me hang in. So I went to this guy's house. So I took my PJs. I really didn't think that he wanted to have sex with me. And we sat up and we were talking for ages and we were watching telly and he just suddenly turned to me and he was like, hey, so I can't get Netflix on this TV in the lounge room, but I can get it on my laptop. This is a weird question, but do you want to like watch TV in bed together? Is that too weird? And I was like, oh no, that's fine. So we lay down in bed and I was like as far away as I could possibly get from him on the other side of the bed. And we sat there and we watched about 20 minutes of Queer Eye. <laughs> and he was like, can I just, can I just, can you come a bit closer? And I was like, I don't know if that's a good idea. And he was like, why? And I was like, because I think if we touch, then we might have sex. And he was like, would that be such a bad idea? <laughs> and then we kissed and then we had sex. And it was very intense. Like that was the first time I'd had sex with anyone aside from my partner. In 10 years, it was intense. What about your husband? Has he had any? Yeah, he doesn't tell me unless I ask. I think because he knows that it, you know, it makes me feel a bit icky. But I also know that that ickiness gets smaller with time. Like when I first found out that he'd slept with someone, I was on a train. I was in the quiet carriage on a train. And um, he texted me and told me and I just like yelled like, what the fuck? <laughs> and everyone in the train turned around and looked at me. And I couldn't, I kind of couldn't stop laughing just because I was so shocked. I mean, he's a sexy man, obviously. I love him. I married him. But it was just so weird to think that he'd actually like slept with someone else. And it felt horrible. And I got off the train and he met me and I just, I, I couldn't stop laughing. So like I moved through the emotions pretty quickly, like obviously shock first, but then it was funny and then it felt a bit gross. Then it was kind of a bit sexy which I didn't see coming at all. I'm interested to know about you coming out as polyamorous. This is relatively new for you, Chloe. It's been gradual. I remember I was talking to my mum 
And I asked her, how's this person? How's that person? And, and she was talking about everyone in the family. And she looked at me like she just looked straight at me. And she was like, and how about you? <laughs> like she knew that I had something to tell her. So I, I just kind of exhaled and I was like, my partner and I, we're open. Like I slept with someone else and it's something that we're doing. She cried. <laughs> but she's, I think she's just really worried about me. I think she's really worried that either one of us will fall in love with someone else and it will ruin what we have together. She was like, oh, I just thought you'd finally like settled and you'd finally calmed down and you were finally like this. I thought this was who you were, like you had a house with your husband and these were your friends and this was your job. And like, I don't understand why you'd want to change that. And I don't understand why I'd want to change it either, but I do. <laughs> and I am. And it's fun. It's stressful, but it's it's adventurous. I mean, I know full well what people could think about me because I've thought them about me too. Like I've worried about them, like the fact that it just means that me and my partner, you know, we have a bad relationship. Like people have said that to me on the apps. They're like, I don't get why you're polyamorous. Why don't you just get a divorce? And I was like, okay, unmatch. Mm. <laughs> or that, you know, I'm just a slut, which, so what if I am? Focusing on you when you're alone at night. <laughs> what is there anything that keeps you up, you know, keeps you awake and worrying or ruminating about being poly? Initially, it was very stressful. I was scared that me me wanting these relationships meant that my relationship with my partner wasn't strong enough. I don't think about that so much anymore because through all this, I mean, and through everything before this, like we've been together 10 years, I've kind of come to see that our relationship is very strong. And also, if one of us was to meet someone else that we did fall in love with and maybe come to prefer... That wouldn't happen suddenly. It wouldn't happen overnight. We would be talking to each other about it. So if I found myself thinking, oh, this person could give me this thing that my husband can't, then I'd go to my husband and be like, you know, I really wish we could spend more time and more energy doing this thing. Or I really wish that you could pay more attention to this aspect of me. You know, it wouldn't happen suddenly. It wouldn't just be like, okay, I'm divorcing you now because I've been dating this other guy and he seems better for me. So Chloe has felt weird about being Polly, worried, confused, and she doesn't know if she will be Polly forever. But she's giving it a crack, and lots of women are. I definitely see more polyamory than I did see 10 years ago. Whether this is because there is more openness about it or not, I, I don't know. People come into my practice being completely monogamous still, but definitely contemplating this. And I see very much an increase in those people. This is Desiree Spearings. She's a relationship counsellor and sex therapist. She works with lots of non-monogamous people. We asked her for a bit of Poly 101 because the lingo is confusing. There are open relationships, polyamorous relationships, monogamish relationships, people who don't ask, don't tell, and then there's swingers. So I asked Desiree, what is the difference between poly and open relationships? The clear difference is that open relationships, the open really stands for the sexual part. Open relationships means that they allow their partner or themselves to have sex with others. Whether this is together or separate, there is that consent to do that. Whereas polyamory, they also allow to form a stronger emotional connection with this other person. And sometimes this includes sex, sometimes it doesn't. 
When a client of yours says to you, Desiree, like I'm thinking of opening up my relationship, what do you ask them to consider? First of all, it's the why. Mm -hmm. So I think that's very important. I'd say to them, why do you want to do this? Is that because there's issues in the primary relationship? Because that's not the right reason. Is it because really you're contemplating on ending the primary relationship? And this is kind of an easy way out. You might have got your next partner lined up for you. Um, So definitely considering the why. Consider the who, what, where and when. So who are you allowed to then see in this relationship? Who is allowed to know about this? And then it's like the what. What kind of activities are you allowed to do? Can you go on long-term holidays with your secondary partner? Is your partner allowed to do that? When, I think, is one of the main ones. How much time are you allowed to spend with them? And then also in terms of what what kind of sexual things are you uh, allowed to do? And where are you going to go with this? Is this allowed in your kind of shared home? People don't think about the details, but it's very important for that to be discussed. If I was to tell my partner you know, I want to try it, what would I say to him? Definitely start from the you. So why you want to want to do this. Mm-hmm. So I've been thinking about this. These are my reasons. Also really emphasize the strength of your current relationship and that it has nothing to do with them, but with you and with the type of relationship that you're longing for. Also your commitment that that's still really solid. The very important thing is also that you're not forcing your partner into this. So realizing that they might need a bit of time to kind of contemplate this idea, to think about it, and that the answer could also be no, and that that can also be okay. What sort of person wants to be in a polyamorous relationship? I believe they're quite open people in general to be able to do that and to want that but also they talk about it being right for them. Desiree you're a sex therapist as well as relationships counsellor. Forgive me if this is a naive question. Are some people just more sexual than others? I believe that polyamorous relationships, there is this kind of misconception that it's kind of raunchy or very sexual or that's in the outskirts of society. That is not the case. They're just like people like you and I who are in monogamous relationships, but then just with more people. And sometimes it's also about that deeper connection. So just not solely about the sex. And I think that's a common misconception. Often it's about just the way that monogamous people are relating to one another, but just with more people. So the feeling I'm getting is that open, poly, monogamish relationships are probably a lot more common than we realise. It's just that they're harder to spot. And we've all been coached to think that we're meant to be sexually exclusive. The predominant story that we've heard over and over repeatedly, whether it's on television, in scientific studies, in the biology textbooks, is that women are somehow programmed for monogamy. Women are more naturally monogamous. Monogamy comes more easily to them, we're told. This is Wednesday Martin. She's written a book called Untrue, which is about all the false stories we've been fed about female sexuality. We're also told that for men and males of other species, it's, quote, natural to be promiscuous, to want to spread their seed and to want to basically have sex with anything that isn't nailed down. Now, (laughs) the last decade and a half or two decades of science and social science are telling us an entirely new story about male and female sexuality. Part of that reason is because now we've got female sex researchers in the game. But what we still don't know is how queer people are faring in long-term relationships. So it is important to point out that the research Wednesday is quoting is all about straight couples. 
According to Wednesday, a heap of things we're told about women's sexual drive is just totally wrong. Excitingly, over the last 10 years or so, there have been at least six longitudinal studies, very well designed, in total tens of thousands of adults in a range of ages from 18 to 70, which have showed consistently that in a long-term committed exclusive relationship, women stop wanting to have sex in years one to four. But men in these long-term exclusive relationships are pretty happy having sex with their long-term partners for nine or 12 years without reporting boredom. Okay, this turns everything on its head. At first, people said, oh, sure, female desire drops off between years one and four because women want sex less. No, we know they don't. The picture that's emerging now is that women want the sex they can have less, and men have an easier time wanting the sex that they can have. Women, and there's a wealth of data to this point, need variety and novelty and adventure. Otherwise, they get bored more quickly. But that's the opposite of what we've been taught. It's the opposite. What we have been taught is untrue. What we see consistently, repeatedly, is that for women only, long-term monogamy is predicting low desire not because they don't like sex, but because it's harder for them to be interested in sex with the same person over and over and over. Amazing. What we haven't dealt with is that women, at least as much as men, need variety and novelty and adventure after years one to four if those long-term relationships are going to last. This episode of our podcast is about polyamory. In your understanding, who is leading the charge for having more open sexual relationships in a heterosexual unit? When I first started researching my book, I was quite convinced that it was men leading the charge. And I had this notion in my head that men were asking for polyamorous relationships and open relationships because it suited them so that they could have more sex. And what I discovered from these experts and from looking at the history of polyamory in the United States, but also worldwide, is that women have historically and are currently leading this charge. It's women, by and large, who are the relationship revolutionaries coming into therapists with their male partners and saying, I want us to introduce a third into our relationship. So I was very surprised by that. I am too. I know a lot of women who shrug off their low libido with, I'm getting older, or I've got a kid, I'm tired, I'm flat out at work. But actually, just being bored, like, I'm actually tired of your boring old junk, or, ah, gee, another rerun of last year's sex, can we? No thanks. And look, we are also constantly being told that we're less horny than men. I can't help but wonder how many of us have considered that it's not that we're less horny, it's not that our libidos have died, we're actually just bored. The other thing that comes up with a lot of non-monogamous relationships is jealousy. I think that's a big reason why some people couldn't even consider going poly. But Wednesday Martin says studies actually suggest that monogamous, so-called faithful people, are more jealous than people in open relationships. People in polyamorous and open relationships report the lowest levels of jealousy 
very high, relatively high levels of relationship satisfaction and pretty much off the chart levels of sexual satisfaction, which might not be that surprising. So when you look at the data, there is no way you can assert that one of these relationship styles is better than the other. And one very important factor is culture and stigma, right? It's mm. it's hard to have a non-monogamous lifestyle without a community that supports you. And the other factor that goes into all of this and that can make a difference is one's attachment style. When you were raised, how secure were you in your relationship with your primary caregiver? There's interesting new data and research suggesting that certain attachment styles do well with a non-monogamous relationship style. For others, it would be more of a struggle. But I think what happened to me over the course of writing the book is I started to ask a different question. And the question that I started to ask was, is there an inherent danger in presuming that monogamy should be your default for life and they shouldn't talk about it? Yes, there is an inherent danger in that because it can lead to some very deep dissatisfactions, including a phenomenon called service sex. Service sex, what's that? <laughs> you know, service sex is what kicks in, and mostly women are doing it for men. During that one to four year period, when for a normal, healthy human female, in that one to four year period where her desire for her partner in her sexually exclusive relationship starts to drop. Mm-hmm. She starts to figure, I guess I just don't like sex anymore because nobody has told her, no, no, no. There's nothing wrong with you or your partner or your relationship. You're having a normal drop in desire like human females do in years one to four. There's nothing wrong. Nobody's told her that. So she says, I guess I don't like sex. Nobody has said, no, you just don't like sex over and over and over with the same person. So I'm going to have sex sort of for the team, for the good of the marriage, to placate my male partner. Now, there's nothing wrong with a maintenance shag once in a while. Husbands do it for their wives sometimes. But service sex is something different. It's when it becomes a deeply ingrained habit and you lose sight of your entitlement to sexual pleasure of your own. And I do believe that because we are not talking about monogamy, there is an epidemic of service sex, of women providing sex to their long-term male partners without joy and without pleasure. And we absolutely have to stop it. So in Australia, our stats say 96% of us expect our partners to not have sex outside the relationship. What do you say to that? I say there's what people say and there's what people do. And when you look at the worldwide ethnographic data, what you see is that there is not a culture in the world where there is not infidelity. Infidelity is a normative practice. It is a normal part of the human sexual repertoire. We have empowered women with salaries. We've closed the education gap in many countries. And now they're insisting and they're empowered to insist upon sexual autonomy as well. And sexual autonomy includes not just choosing your partners, but choosing what relationship style you want. So the more empowered women become, the more you will see women saying, I'm done with monogamy. I think back to a conversation I had with a good girlfriend when I was in third grade. We were talking about who we're going to marry when we grow up. She said something about when I meet a man and marry him, and, and I said, a man, or one. <laughs> <laughs> so that sounds a bit boring, just one. <laughs> I think it was always in me. 
This is Rose, which isn't her real name. She's in her 30s, and it wasn't until about three years ago that polyamory entered her world. She's happily polyamorous now, but it took a disaster to get her there. I was single, it was 2016, dating on Tinder, and met a man whose Tinder profile said he's poly and into tango and maths. I was a bit intrigued about the poly bit, so I went along on this date. We met in a bar. There was an instant connection. This very tall, handsome Parisian, and we barely touched our drinks. Went very, very, very well first date. We went back to his place afterwards, and it was amazing. You fell into bed with each other the night you met. Yep. That's always a good sign, I think. (laughs) (laughs) I was a bit wary. Just I felt, he's going to go home. He's very cute. I really like this guy. But he's going home in a week. So I actually said no to a second date, but he persisted and persisted. And so we met up in the same bar and it went just as well. But there was a point in the night where I came back from the bathroom and he'd put his phone down on the bar and a picture popped up on his phone of a child, a toddler, I think. I said, oh, you've got a kid. And he said, yes. And I said, okay, are you with a mum? And he said, yes, I am actually. But as my profile says, I'm Polly. He went home the next day. I did not expect to hear from him again. But he wrote me an email from the airport and then when he was back in Paris. And essentially we embarked on what became nearly a three-year long-distance relationship. We met up three times on three different continents. So we met up in New York, Beijing and later Paris. In New York, it was revealed bit by bit that he and his partner were in fact not so much Polly, but in a don't ask, don't tell arrangement. And he told me she wouldn't be too happy if he fell in love. But in fact, during that trip, he told me he loved me for the first time. And I replied that I loved him as well. A bit later that year, we met up in Beijing. And by that time, I mean, we were writing emails every day, texting as well. By that time, I'd done a lot of research into polyamory and I was very excited. This this is who I am. Then I was just learning more and more about communication styles and things to ask your partner. And I was asking him questions about, about his life in Paris and about his family. Bit by bit, it became clear that he wasn't actually Polly at all and that he and his partner were actually monogamous and that he was cheating on her, which is quite a shock. Can you help us understand the difference between a person who is cheating on their partner and a person who is polyamorous? Anyone can say they're polyamorous and many people feel polyamorous and feel like, yes, I, I do fall in love with other people. The difference is there are many people out there practising polyamory and doing it um, honestly. So what did you do when you realised that that he wasn't really polyamorous? It was crushing because by that time I was well and truly in love. I suppose what was hard for me is I felt like I made him really happy. Well, that's what he told me. And he told me I made him a much better person for his wife. I felt like, okay, if he's better for his wife, that's good because... Unlike in the monogamous narrative where if you're having an affair, which is what we were doing, the story you tell yourself is, when is he going to leave his wife? When are they going to break up? 
And in polyamory, that's not what you want at all. You want them to be well and happy in their relationships. So I was really torn because I really didn't know anything about her or what she wanted. And so I knew if she hadn't consented to their arrangement, this was not a good situation. And we met up one last time in Paris last year. I mean, it felt so good, but it felt so wrong. There was just such a whirlwind of emotions. We knew that it couldn't continue this way. Towards the end of the year, this is last year, oh, he said we need to talk about something and he called and it was about his wife. She was pregnant and he had decided it was not going to be a good time to open anything up or have any further discussions. He really asked me to hang on, but I said I couldn't do it anymore and we had a breakup talk. This is definitely sounding like a big budget rom-com, right? New York, Beijing, Paris and heartbreak. What Rose realised by dating someone who was pretending to be polyamorous is how important honesty and consent is in polyamory. Rose is now with someone she really loves. They're poly, it works, and she's thrilled. The thing that was different about this one was that I went into it having done several years of research. So I was up front right from the start, and the way we're navigating it now is... We, gosh, we we read about it together. Um, we have regular discussions. We're part of a local support group together. And so we're just having that ongoing conversation about it. So when you describe yeah. it like that, it sounds like a full-time job, like <laughs> all the meetings and but the relationships research. are you be. <laughs> no, they're not. I'm quite busy and my relationship <laughs> is just a, a part of my life. So the thing that I do think about is dirty dick. I just think, oh, you might have a dirty dick if <laughs> you're going around and putting it all over the place. Right, yeah. But that, I know that's juvenile, but it's that's where... Well, safe my, sex. I know, I know. It's central. And communication. And that could be happening anyway. It, that's yeah. where people cheat. Yeah. yeah, totally, totally. The way you describe it with all the communication and the openness and the kindness, it sounds kind of like a version of like a, <laughs> a sex hippie. Yeah, and it's not perfect, Yumi. And, of course, you find all these wonderful things in monogamous culture as well. Mm. Um, Polyamory is not just about sex. It's about connection, human connection. And it's really about we are free to get to know people outside of your main relationship. And some people don't even have a main relationship, what we call relationship anarchy, where we value each relationship equally. I suppose what characterises it is just a love of learning there's a big nerd aspect to it as well. Like a lot of people really nerd out on reading and like sharing articles about it and honesty. So it's not, it's not a posh word for being a swinger? No, it's broader than that. Oh, some people have been co-parent with their partners. It's so much more than being a swinger. So what's the taboo? Why, why is it a taboo? We have a monogamous culture. It's as simple mm. as that. There's just this overall perception that it's complicated. You'll get your heart broken. It's just way too hard. And that to me is a way of saying, you know, relationships should be easy and simple. And wouldn't it just be more simple if you could put in minimal effort? <laughs> Stick to one person. It's easier. But that's no easier, to be honest. Monogamy doesn't work for a lot of people either. And I'd love to see it normalised. It's really the same complications that you have in a monogamous relationship, but times 
you know, however many partners you have. Shh. If you listen really closely, you might be able to hear the sound of a thousand relationships opening up. (laughs) And look, if it's not yours, I hope you realise you're not a freaky sex goblin if you've got a crush on someone else and fantasise about throwing them around your bed while wearing your best lipstick and listening to heavy metal. Okay? And remember, it's women especially who need sexual novelty, variety and adventure. A reminder, the research says we get bored sexually within the first one to four years of a relationship compared to men who don't start getting bored until around nine years. So picture you, a horny sex goblin, standing hand in hand with just a normal boring goblin. (laughs) If you can square it with your religion, your culture or at least yourself, there's nothing wrong with thinking outside the box of monogamy. You can find Ladies We Need to Talk on a podcast app or on the ABC Listen app. Ladies is mixed by Anne-Marie de Betancourt. It's produced by Jane Curtis. Supervising producer is Cassandra Steve, and our executive producer is Justine Kelly. This series was created by Claudine Ryan. The manager of Audio Studios is Kelly Reardon. Before you go and start researching ways to escape monogamy and also digging out your inner sex goblin, I want to tell you about another ABC podcast, which I love. If you're all about keeping up to date with what's happening in music, pop culture, and just all the cool stuff, then you should totally check out Double J's Bang On podcast with Miff Warhurst and Zan Rowe. Join these ladies each week as they debrief all those conversations for you so you can look cool at work and to all your mates without having to actually listen to the whole album, read the book or eat the food. You can find it in the same place that you find us, which is the ABC Listen app. Just type bang on or do that wherever you get your podcasts.